So the scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all of this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion had heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With the soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. This particular story of Jesus and the centurion is actually found in two Gospels. It's found in Matthew uh, chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7. In this passage from Luke, we actually have two major characters. We have Jesus and the centurion. A couple of minor groups of characters, like the elders that were sent and the friends that the centurion sent later, but we're going to focus right now on Jesus and the centurion. Now, before this chapter, Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He was entering Capernaum, and the text kind of says, as soon as he got there, Jewish elders approached him and said they'd been sent by a centurion. And they described the centurion as this man who was well-loved by the community. He cared about the community. He had built a synagogue so that the community could have a place to worship. He loved the nation through the other works that he has done. And I was curious, centurion, this kind of comes out of left field. I mean, there's not many centurions in Scripture. So I decided to do a little bit of a deep dive, and I thought, okay, what other centurions are there in Scripture? I mean, they're, they're officers, they're, they're military. These aren't really the normal type of, of people that Jesus interacted with. He kind of stuck them on his own people for the most part. And I figured out that, for the most part, centurions were all Gentiles. They were commanders of centuries, which is a unit in the military that was about 100 men, give or take. And generally, as Scripture describes them, they were men of good reputation. In Matthew 27, after Jesus breathed his last, a centurion exclaimed that surely this was God's son. In Mark 15, a centurion actually goes to Pilate to tell him the truth about Christ's body. And in Acts, there is a centurion named Cornelius, who is described as devout and God-fearing. So they were generally good men, and some, like the centurion of our passage, did respect Jewish customs and practices, even if they didn't really follow them. Now, we're told that our centurion had a servant who he loved so dearly. Text kind of describes it or translates it as he loved him, he honored him highly. This was a no normal servant, but one that was uplifted by this, by this military officer. And this was the entire request for Jesus to come to him. 
But it seems the centurion had enough knowledge about Jewish practice and had enough sense to ask the Jewish elders to fetch Jesus on his behalf. The elders, however, did a little bit more than just fetch Jesus and bring him to the centurion. They actually pleaded the centurion's case with Jesus, saying that he was a man who cared about the community and nation, and he built a synagogue for them. He was worthy of Jesus' favor. Please come see the centurion's servant. I was a little bit intrigued by the Greek word here when they said they beseeched him or begged him. The Greek word is parakaleo, meaning to beg or beseech, which is used to illustrate the urgency and desire of their request. And hearing this, it seems that Jesus went with them without another word. Now, this is where I think the text gets a little bit interesting. Jesus is on his way. He's going to see the centurion. And all of a sudden, it seems like the centurion almost changes his mind. And when, he's, when Jesus isn't far off, the centurion sends out a group of friends and says, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy of your presence. I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you myself, but please say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, I was really confused when I read this. I said to myself, I was thinking, he asked Jesus to come all this way to heal his servant. Jesus is pretty close. And then all of a sudden he changes his mind and says, completely not worthy to see you, but from where you are, please say the words and my servant will be healed. But is that really what he was trying to say? I think there's so much more to it than that. I think the centurion was so overwhelmed by his own sense of unworthiness, despite everything that he had done for the Jewish people in the past and even their own witness of him, The Jewish elders, remember, had just claimed that he was worthy to be seen by Jesus. The centurion cannot even fathom being in the presence of Jesus and asks him to speak the words so his servant will be healed. He acknowledges Jesus as worthy and all-powerful while, at the same time, understanding his own limited authority as a military officer. All this power that he has to order his, uh, his soldiers around I can tell this soldier, go, and he goes. I can tell this one, come, as he comes. He realizes all this power that he has is absolutely worthless in this point in time. There's nothing that the centurion could do. And Jesus, hearing this, is absolutely floored, absolutely astonished. He physically turns to the crowd that have been following him so that they can understand, and he says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The Gentiles' centurion's faith outstripped any faith that Jesus had experienced, even among God's chosen people. His example, the centurion's example, I think is one of true and marvelous faith. Now, there are two questions I want to explore with you all this morning. I kind of want us to think about these. First, is there a definition of this kind of faith? What does this even mean to have a a marvelous faith, one that that Jesus himself would be astonished at? And second, if we have this definition, if we can think about it, what does this kind of faith even look like, especially in our world today? I was thinking about this. I was thinking, okay, a faith that Jesus would marvel at, what what does this mean? How, How do I define this? I was thinking about this, and I thought, I've come across this before. 
And I realized in my readings of the Heidelberg Catechism, it actually asks and also answers the same question. Question 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, what is true faith? And this is how it answers. Not only a sure knowledge by which I hold is true, all that God has revealed to us in Scripture, it is also a wholehearted trust, which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are the gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. Wow. Now, that's quite an answer when I read it. I was thinking, wow, they have pretty much summarized what we want to believe into kind of a paragraph. But I wanted to make it a little smaller. And I thought, is that even possible? Can we make this bite size? And I tried, and this is what I came up with. Faith that is, I should say, true faith is faith that is rooted in the knowledge of God as found in Scripture and a trust in the gifts of grace that God has granted through Jesus' merit. Sound good? Here's the trick to it, though. Like the centurion, there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn this. Absolutely nothing. If we have any power at all, completely worthless. And there's nothing that the centurion could do to heal his servant, and he knew it. He sought out Jesus in humility and faith, trusting that Jesus would save his servant. That's our human condition. We are broken. Not even worthy of a second glance. And yet, despite how sinful we are to God the Father, he sees only his son's sacrifice that covers us, that makes us white as snow. We are, in fact, purified through our faith in Jesus Christ. Moving on to that second question. What does this kind of faith look like, especially today? How in the world can we embody this kind of faith in our own lives? Is it even possible? In this world that's full of distractions, personal agendas, Never-ending advertisements where everyone is on the go all the time. Is faith grounded in humility and absolute trust in Christ's awesome power even possible? That sounds kind of impossible, doesn't it? How can we shut out all of the worldly noise and listen for the whisper of God's voice in each of our lives? We can be intentional about reaching out to Jesus. We can do this through scripture or maybe through prayer. Maybe we do it ourselves or take a page out of the centurion's book and ask some friends to go to Jesus on our behalf. At your own pace, in your own way, go to Jesus with a humble heart, acknowledging his power and his grace. Now, Does this mean that you have to don a sackcloth and cover yourself in ashes? If you have a flair for theater, go for it. However, the rest of us might find ways to quiet our hearts and humble ourselves before Christ, our Savior. Now, as Pastor John mentioned before, I'm a hospital chaplain. I'm at Christ Medical Center in Oakland, kind of near the south side, and uh, it's big. 
It's very big. Almost, uh, when we hit our max, we can read about 800 beds in that hospital. And it's very, very, very busy. And I wanted to share a story about a, uh, one of the patients I've seen there. Let's call him James. James was admitted to our surgical heart unit. He had a hole in his heart. Doctors found this a little bit unusual because usually this kind of medical thing is, de- is detectable at birth, but this started for James a couple of years ago, right around the time that his wife had unfortunately passed away. And when I visited, he really just wanted a Bible. That's it. Didn't really want to talk to me, just wanted a Bible. But we ended up talking and talking and talking for two hours. He was a Christian and had been by his wife's side for about 40 years, almost 40 years. When she died, his entire world collapsed. And actually, his faith went along with it. That collapsed too. He was mad. He was so mad at God. And at the same time, he felt so not worthy. I remember his words were, why would I even have a faith in God? My wife is gone. I'm not worthy of anything. I can't even go to God right now. He was, felt so unworthy because of his own anger. He told me it was really hard to pray. Couldn't really even read the Bible. But he figured asking for a Bible, maybe talking to the chaplain would help. Well, we did talk. Over a few visits in a couple days. And after he had surgery for the hole in his heart, I visited him afterwards and he said, you know what, Kevin? I've maybe, maybe come to a place where I want to reach out, kind of rekindle that relationship that I had with God. It's going to be slow. It's not going to be quick. But let's at least, I have the desire, the the, the need to kind of have that relationship that I once had. He ended up having surgery for the hole in his heart, and after I'd seen him in the um, recovery unit, he ended up being discharged about a week later. Coming to Jesus isn't always with gratitude and praise. Sometimes we run to him in anger and confusion. Sometimes we have all these emotions and we go to him and say, you know what, I can't handle this right now. Can't do it. I'm not worthy. Please take everything that I'm having to deal with. Please help because everything I've done just isn't working anymore. I think this is exactly how the centurion came to Jesus. Scared, terrified, anxious, and yet, humbly acknowledging Christ's power over his own. I wonder if it's harder to go to Jesus in faith and humility. There are so many voices out there saying, you don't need faith, you can do it by yourself. But I think going to Christ is still the better, if not sometimes much more difficult option. Because of the true and marvelous faith that each of us can have in Christ. We just have to whisper Listen for God's whispering voice among the noise of the world.
As I was thinking about the sermon this week, I was reading through the Psalms, and one locked on, kind of just as one that popped out to me. It was Psalm 4. It says this. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him, tremble and do not sin. When you were in your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us, fill my heart with joy, when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. For some reason this, this week, I was reading this over and over, kind of in, in uh, tandem with the centurion's story from Luke, and I was thinking, a couple things stuck out. First of all, it was this, the end of verse 1 where it says, Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And the other one was the second part of verse 5 where it simply just says, Trust in the Lord. And this reminded me of the centurion. When we have nothing left and are searching for something to give us hope, we can turn to God like the psalmist does and put all of our trust in, into God. And we know that, we know that God in God Sorry. We know that in God, we can find complete healing and rest. Earlier this week, I met with Pastor John and a couple others, and they mentioned that Lombard CRC was actually one of the first CRC churches to worship in English in the Chicago area about 100 plus years ago. Before that time, I think all the services would have been in Dutch. I was intrigued by this, and I looked up a couple of Dutch words, and one of the words I found was the Dutch word for house, which is house, spelled H-U-I-S. I'm thinking, okay, interesting. I'm thinking, okay, what's a house? Something that covers us, protects us from the elements, provides us warmth where our families can rest and relax. And I was thinking, it's a place where you can rest and relax. Rest in distress? Can, can it be a place for going to God in our own homes? I was thinking, yeah. People have prayer closets. Some have, I've heard of people having prayer gardens. All of that revolves around the house and the home. And how do we, how do we make all this happen? Thinking, okay, the psalmist goes to God in distress, finds comfort in God's safety and dwelling place. My patient James, even though he was really angry at God, he wanted to go home to the faith that he once had and literally just wanted to go home. I mean, he was completely done with being in the hospital and eventually he did go home. And the centurion had so many resources at his fingertips, but he didn't have what he needed to care for the servant that he loved. It's through their faith in Jesus and God that they found their way back home to the kingdom. In the same way, 
Each of us can approach Jesus with a humble heart, remembering that we're unworthy of his grace, knowing Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf. He is our intercessor. It is by our faith in him that we can receive salvation. We are granted a place at the Lord's table and a place in his heavenly house. With our marvelous faith, each of us can always come home to God. God is our home. And if you forget everything else that I tell you today, remember, Dutch word for house. H-U-I-S. Humble, we are unworthy. Jesus is our intercessor who gives us our own salvation. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your steadfastness and the love that you grant each and every one of us, despite our brokenness and our unworthiness. Thank you for allowing your spirit to pour out upon us in each of our lives and using us as ways to shine your glory upon the world. And we pray, Lord, as that we return to each of our homes this morning, that we will remember throughout the week that ultimately you are our home, that one day we will return to you and you will welcome us with outstretched arms and say, come, I have, I have a place for you at my table and in my house. And we thank you for that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said,